Cool. All right, everybody. Uh, as you said, my name is Jared. Uh, some of you may know me. Some of you, if you're new, uh, it's Madison. Uh, so we've been studying Philippians, as Drew said, obviously. Great book. Uh, objectively, I think this is probably one of the best chapters, passages in Scripture. So we're glad you're here tonight. Um, uh, so kind of the objective, as we've kind of been doing this series, is we want to study the Bible together. I'm not just going to stand up here and kind of talk and talk and talk and talk and then kind of give you a point and then send you out. We're kind of going to do this together. So, um, in that vein, I'm going to have Andrew stand up and read all 11 verses. Uh, and I'll just say this first read through, don't do anything, just listen, let the words kind of wash over you. And I'm going to give you guys like five, maybe five minutes, maybe a little bit less because we're kind of a little late. Uh, to just kind of like circle significant words, ask questions. If you have that journal, uh, you can use that. If you have the paper, use that. But really just take this time to kind of settle in, think through what's going on, and then I'll bring us back after that. So, all right, Tinker. All right. If then any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God, Father. Thanks, Tager. Take a couple minutes, reflect, meditate, note, journal, whatever. Huh? Do you want me to read again? No. All right. Go ahead and finish whatever you're doing. Uh, hopefully something stood out to you. Um, you underlined something. You circled a word. Um, hopefully I'll answer a question for you. Uh, but let's get into it. So... Before we get into the verses, I just want to talk about something that kind of came to my mind this week. As you may have noticed in your journals and your Bibles, as Danker was reading it, this passage really talks about humility. And that's kind of really the focus of this passage. So a couple things to remember. One, the Philippian church, great church. Um, Paul, sorry, Paul loved this church. Uh, there wasn't a lot wrong with this church, but also... One of the things that we'll see later on in this letter is that their biggest problem was unity. They had a lot of dysfunction. And so Paul is writing this letter to hopefully eventually address that. And he starts in this passage. And so, one of the things that Paul is fighting against is pride. Now, in our culture, in our world, we think of pride as a good thing. And a lot of times pride is a good thing. Whenever you do something, when you accomplish something, when someone you love accomplishes something, it's okay to be proud of that thing. Okay, It's okay to take ownership of something good that you've done. But the pride that Paul is fighting against is a pride of putting yourself before 
everything else and anything else. Putting yourself above everyone. And that is really the root of the issue with the Philippian church. As uh, Drew so helpfully pointed out, this is a church that had some wealthy people in it. It had some kind of, not really middle class, you didn't have middle class, but whatever that would look like. And then you had kind of this lower level of immigrants that were put into the city. And so they have a lot of, there's a lot of disconnection here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of counter motives going on. And so Paul really is going to attack that in this chapter in a very, very amazing and beautiful way. So, first four verses, um, this first verse, Paul asks these rhetorical questions. I actually circled these ifs because it's repeated. Uh, Maybe you did. But he asks these questions. And Paul knows the answer to these questions is probably yes. And the Philippians probably would have read this and thought, obviously these are, like, this is true of us. All these things are true of us and what we are doing here. So why does Paul ask these questions? Paul asks these questions to get the Philippians into this mindset of, okay, all these things are true, or we think they're true, so what's the problem? What's the problem? What's the missing connection here that's, like, not allowing us to be unified as a body? So, he continues in verse 2, and he asks them to make his joy complete. Now, Paul loves this church. And so he's not saying, I need you to be better because you're doing a bad job. He's saying, I want you to do as best as you can. I want you to make my joy complete. I want you to give me a firm what you've been doing by kind of finishing the job that you started, finishing this work that you started. As uh, chapter 1 talks about how the Lord will finish this work that he has started within us. But in verse 2, he answers their what with more questions, or with more statements. He tells them, okay, think the same, have the same love, be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, if you really think about this, these are hard things to do for a group of people that are in different circumstances, they have different Um, levels of income, they are kind of from all over the place, and he's asking them to think the same, to have the same love, to be united in the Spirit. Now, Spirit there, Holy Spirit, even though it's lowercase, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, not just kind of a communal, like, attitude, and then on one purpose, and that's really important for this passage, because Paul loves the gospel. So what is this one purpose that he's talking about? He's talking about the gospel. As we talked about in the first week, Paul's goal, the goal of Christians, and even in chapter 1, as citizens of heaven, is the glory of God. And how is God glorified? Well, He's glorified whenever the gospel is preached and people come to know Jesus. And so, this one purpose is the gospel. Now, in a nutshell, gospel, okay, we have God creator of all things, was and is and is to come, Uh, triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who creates everything, and then we mess it up after He creates us to be His image bearers, and then ever since then, in fits and starts, uh, this little nation called Israel is kind of messed up over and over again, 
And then eventually, God takes on flesh, lives a perfect life, dies a perfect death, and then raises from the dead three days later, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father. And we're going to get to that, but just know that this one purpose is not, so we can all sing kumbaya around a campfire, um, that's not the point. This purpose that we should be united in as Christians, as a mission of the kingdom, as citizens of heaven, is the gospel, is the name of Jesus Christ. So, in verse 3, Paul tells him, okay, here are these things I told you how to do. You're probably wondering, okay, how do we do that? Sounds hard. Okay, and then he says, do nothing. Now, if we were going to write this, I would write nothing in all caps, okay? This is a big deal for Paul. Do nothing. That's a, like, nothing. That's a very, like, that's a very exclamatory word. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, these are two different things. They're not the same thing. Selfish ambition is whenever you basically put yourself above everybody else, put your blinders on, and go for what you want. You kind of ignore everything else that's going on around you. You're not worrying about what's going on with anybody else. You're going to do your own thing. And it doesn't matter what happens. Okay? So that's selfish ambition. Conceit, on the other hand, is intentionally harming someone to get what you want. Okay? To be conceited is to be in some way jealous or angry that someone is impeding you or is impeding what you want. So you're going to do whatever it takes to tear them down so you can get above them. And so both of these words have this idea of getting above someone. Getting, having what I want become what everyone else should want, no matter what. No matter what. And then Paul just, he just drops this bombshell in verse 3. He says this, But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Now, humility is a huge deal in this chapter. But... Okay, what is humility, though? Because I think with pride, I think we have a problem with pride, but I think we also have a problem with humility. And I think we can easily get our humility mixed up with what biblical humility looks like. So Paul here says, Consider others as more important than yourself. And in verse 4, he elaborates on this. He says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now, if you contrast that with what he just said about selfish ambition or conceit, we see that humility is literally not thinking about yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. It's not cutting yourself down. It's not saying, oh, woe is me because whatever is going on in my life. That is not Christian humility. Christian humility is valuing others more important values valuing others is more important than yourself and one of my favorite authors c.s lewis says this really well in this really snippy little quote that he has a lot of but he says it like this humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less i'm gonna say it again humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. And that is exactly what Paul in these first four verses is exhorting the Philippians to do. 
don't think about yourself so much. Actually, don't think about yourself at all because when you do that, you're going to want to put your desires above the desires of everybody else in the room. And that's a problem because that leads to disunity. But then Paul, knowing that this is kind of difficult, okay? Let's be honest. Humility is difficult. Biblical humility is difficult. He takes it even a step further. And in verse 5, he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt. Now this is super important. Adopt. Because adoption is when you take something that is not natural to a family or whatever, and you take it and you make it part of a family or part of, um, you know, you can adopt a dog, you can adopt a daughter. And so this wording here, Paul is asking us, because we have the Holy Spirit as Christians, to adopt what once was foreign to us, which is the spirit of humility, this attitude of Christ Jesus. Good grief, guys. These next six verses are amazing. Okay? Like, this is almost the gospel in a nutshell. Um, I love, I love, love, love these verses. And so, sorry, we're just going to take a sec. So, in verse 6, Paul starts out with this. So, Jesus, okay, he is God, okay? Let's get out of the way. Jesus is God, okay? He existed in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So, in this first verse, we see this, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, 100%. It's not 50%, 50%, 60%, 40%, 70%, 30%, no. It's 100%, 100%. Okay? And this is one of the great mysteries of our faith. And it's true, but it also really kind of stretches our imaginations. But here we see Paul is affirming this truth, that Jesus, the one who came... Okay, the attitude that we're supposed to adopt. He was God, and He put on flesh to come to us. And then in verse 7 it says this, Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And we're going to stop there because there's a period. So, this is a really interesting concept. He emptied Himself. Okay, there's been a lot of debate about this topic, um, what it means, what it's getting at. But from verse 6, we know that it doesn't mean that Jesus became less than God. Okay? Whenever Jesus put on flesh, he came to earth okay, as God. He didn't relinquish his divinity. Okay? He didn't, you know, he didn't like, drink the whole bottle down and then, like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. We know that Jesus was still... God, okay? So, what does it mean by he emptied himself? Well, the clue here is back in verse 6, okay? He did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, if we connect this back to the first four verses, we see that Jesus models humility in the ultimate sense because he is the creator of the universe And he decided to put on flesh to come and save us. Okay? 
So, when Jesus emptied himself, he added by subtracting. Now, it may not make sense, and I really don't have a ton of time to explain exactly what I mean by that. But, basically, Jesus emptied himself of his divine privilege, and he added to that by becoming a servant. Okay? Now, if you want to talk more about that, we can talk more about that. It's a pretty heady concept, but it's there, so come up afterwards, we can talk about it. Okay, then we have verses 8 through 11. So, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but then it says, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. Okay, so again, we have this affirmation that Jesus, he came and humbled himself first. The creator of the universe. Guys, I cannot stress this enough, okay? I'm going to get excited, and I apologize. But literally, the creator of the universe took on flesh to save us from our own problem that we created for ourselves, okay? This, like, if you just want to sit and think on something, sit and think on that, because these verses really challenge us in our pride, okay? Because Jesus had... Literally, he could have called angels, he could have come down from the cross, he literally, he didn't have to suffer, okay? He came in a manger to a, probably like a 16, 18 year old woman and her poor carpenter husband, and he literally had nothing his entire life. He was from a backwater town in a backwater region in the, uh, I can't say that, uh, in the back end of nowhere, and, uh, okay, so really, like, he literally divested himself of all his divine privilege. But in these verses, we see in verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted him. Now that reason is his death on a cross. God exalted his son because Jesus was willing to humble himself and die on a cross for us. Just the hits keep coming. So, in these verses we see that not only is Jesus going to be exalted, but God is literally going to place him at his right hand. Which, excuse me, let me take a drink of Mountain Dew. So, we see that, that God is not just going to exalt Jesus, okay? He's going to be his vice regent, ruling the universe because of this sacrifice that he made, Okay? That's a big deal. To sit at someone's right hand, to literally every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every created being ever will bow before Jesus because of what he did on the cross. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will, but that's crazy. In every tongue, no matter what, from any, any place, any person, everybody will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe because it is true. Okay, and then finally, at the end, in verse 11, we see this. That Jesus Christ is Lord. So all these things are going to happen, okay? Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's not for Jesus' glory. It's for God's glory. It's for the Father's glory. And that is also the key here, is that Jesus, He didn't just humble himself to save us he humbled himself so that God would be glorified there are two levels of this humility and exaltation and that's really important 
Because it's almost a double humility. It's a humility that we really, if we're being honest, cannot attain. And that's the bad news, okay? By yourself, this is a humility that you cannot practice. But the good news is, it's because of Jesus' perfect life, atoning death, resurrection, and now ascension to the right hand of the Father, we have access to the Holy Spirit. Which means this humility that Paul is talking about in verses 1-4, through this almost impossible standard, is a standard that we can reach as believers. And I totally believe that. Totally believe that. I think Paul totally believed that. Going a little fast. So, here we are. Okay. Um, So, now that we've kind of walked through all 11 of these verses, I want to leave you guys with this. It's on your sheets of paper. Um, But here's kind of this passage in a nutshell. If you kind of, if you were to distill it down into a nutshell. So, exalting ourselves leads to disunity. And in Proverbs 16, 18, you don't need to write this down, but the, um, I don't even know, Solomon probably who wrote this, uh, he says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. So pride, which is the opposite of humility, is what leads to disunity among the body of believers. It is the thing that wears us down and does not allow us to be the church. Okay? So, exalting ourselves leads to disunity. And you could also kind of put in brackets and destruction because eventually, in this life and the next, pride unchecked will lead basically to an implosion of everything. Because when everybody is trying to get what he wants, nobody is going to be looking out for anybody else. And nothing's going to get done, and eventually everyone's going to be at each other's throats. But, humility, biblical humility, humility modeled by Jesus, leads to God's glory, our unity, and our own exaltation. Philippians 2.9, literally right here. For this reason, God highly exalted Him. And I didn't have time, but I know there are other passages in the New Testament, especially where Paul talks about how we as believers one day will reap the rewards of the righteousness that we have displayed following Jesus. That there will be an exaltation of us. Now, what that entails, I don't know. Okay, You can go look that up. I don't know. But I know this, that one day if we follow in the vein of Christ, who is our example, then we will be exalted as well. Exalted under Him, exalted obediently to Him, but we will be exalted. And then in Proverbs 18.12, love Proverbs, good stuff in there. Uh, Okay, Proverbs 18.12. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. It's really easy to be prideful. It's really hard to be humble. But the Bible promises promises us that if we are willing to be humble, that one day, even if nobody else on earth recognizes our humility, one day God will recognize our humility. And that will be totally worth it. For our churches, for our friends, for our family, for whatever it is, it will be worth it to practice humility. Okay. So, now that we've kind of walked through this together, we've talked about it, 
I want you guys to get in groups of two or three, okay? And we're going to have a little bit of extra time. I went a little fast, which is fine. Um, and I want you to talk through those five questions that you have on your sheet, okay? I don't have it up here, but what does this passage show us about God? What does this pas- passage tell us about the mission? What does this passage tell us about ourselves or the world, okay? So take, I don't know, take like 10 minutes maybe. Um, just discuss those questions. Think about it. Uh, maybe we'll do a little bit less. I don't know. Uh, and then we'll come back together. We'll kind of discuss it together, and then uh, I'll finish it up, and then we'll be good to go. So you're free. All right, everybody. Go ahead and finish your thoughts, your sentences, whatever you're doing. All right. Huh? That's good. Glad. So it sounded like there's some good discussion. Let me start over. It sounded like there's some good discussion out there. That's great. Okay, so we're just gonna we're gonna go down through the list here. So would anyone like to tell the class what this passage teaches us about God? Lots of enthusiasm. Oh, yes, Liz, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. I forgot. That's why I could describe it. Like, the answer that we're, we're talking about. Um, it's like that, he lo- like that he loved his creation enough to, like, to have love for him. Not to be, like, rejected him all the time. Told, told he was still being told by us he wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. He still loves us enough to like become lesser. Yeah, it's really good, really good. What else? Anybody else? Yes, Al. I have one uh, in Bible college actually. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, it was uh, it was in verse six. Uh, I. It was in a book I was reading, and this guy, like, really belabored this point. He was like, in the original Greek, in the original Greek it could be stated that uh, who, because he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself a servant. And it really changes the way it was read. Like, it's, like it, it makes the point, like, the sole fact that Jesus was God means that, him being a servant to everyone, like, that's what he would do if he was God. Mm-hmm. And that really, really bothered me, one, because I feel like the guy, the book I was reading was kind of full of crap. Um, and so I went to my Greek professor, and I was like, hey, you gotta, you gotta solve this for me, because like, I feel like this guy's full of crap, you know me. And my Greek professor said, no, actually, that's a, that's a valid reading of the text. And that just really, like, like, I, I don't know enough to be like, and therefore, Alex going to preach, every time he preaches it, it's going to say, because he was God, you know. But I just thought that was really cool and powerful that, like, if that was the right way to read the text, that that does fit the character of God that we see from Scripture and from Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Bible, Bible college time with Alex.
Cool. All right, let's move on. What does this teach us about the gospel? Wow. I'm going to start calling on people. Yes, Carson. Randy said a couple weeks ago, or wait, was no, it was Randy. it was Hope. I'm sorry, it wasn't Randy. Hope said a couple weeks ago, if dependence is our goal, weakness is our advantage. And this passage definitely does show that suffering, from what we know from the first chapter, is really what leads to the advancement of the gospel. So that's really good, good thought. Anything else on that one? Okay. What does this teach us about the world? Rachel, would you like to share with the class? Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Grace that she should share hers, but I'll share hers. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. That's totally good. Really good. Anything else on that one? Okay. I heard you guys talking, so I know there's some thoughts out there, but we're just going to go. Okay, what does this teach us about the church? Capital C, lowercase c, middle KC. That doesn't exist. Come on, guys. Come on. Tough crowd tonight. Tough crowd. Danker, what are your thoughts on this one? Last one. Uh, what does this teach us about God's and our mission? I'm going to jump in on the back one. I want to go back to the church. Thing. Yes, good. Thanks, Drew. Thank I'm actually, my head is spinning a little bit with what uh, Grace through Rachel said. Um, <laughs> Grace through Faith. Grace through Rachel. <laughs> um, so, you know, but... You know, I think we tend to think of unity as specifically uh, agreeing completely on something. That's that's what like unity is. Unity is to not fight so much 
Um, and he even has that in there that we think the same way. Mm-hmm. That is that we're conforming our minds to the, around the same truths, around the same gospel. So that's there. But it's interesting that unity is not is is much more achieved by like not Jared and I agreeing, but Jared and I trying to each lower ourselves to serve the other more. Mm-hmm. And that's like unity. Yeah. And so it's like you can bring a lot of people with different personalities and different mindsets together and can still have the unity that, that so many others can't achieve because it's not necessarily based on uh, tastes or opinions or mm-hmm. personalities as much uh, as much as how much people can serve them. Yep. So I think that does flow a little bit into the mission of the church even. Yep. Right? That this is actually how Christ's mission is accomplished through the lowering of himself. And therefore, someone how our mission is accomplished is yep. lowering of ourselves. Yep. Yep. Any other thoughts? Yeah, throw another one out there. Sorry, I'm not. Sorry. I always like to think of, I think of my time overseas and friends that I would try to share the gospel with that didn't respond and uh, when I come to verses 10 and 11 um, it's a weird sad and reassuring thought when I think of the fact that even though even even those people who wanted nothing to do with the gospel there's a day mm-hmm. when they're going to bow the knee to Jesus and worship yep. and like uh, it makes me sad to think that they don't now and it makes me encouraged to know that, that they will one day, yep. even if it is not in the way that they wanted to, even if that is not in the way that Christ designed, but that one day everyone will acknowledge you, those people who refused to their entire lives, everyone will acknowledge the greatness of Jesus. Yep. And they battle for you. So. Yeah, totally. So we're land a plane, kind of with what Grace and Rachel were talking about. Um, really... Um, because of Christ's humility, we can be reconciled to God. I'm just going to draw a tag. I like it. So, because of Christ's humility, we have this back, which is what we really needed. Okay? Because of that, we can also go this way and be reconciled to one another. And so, like Grace and Rachel were saying, remember that humility is not just the end within itself, okay? You can be humble, that's great. But our humility is meant to reconcile us back to one another and back to God. To share the gospel. To continue reconciling the world as Jesus did, as little Jesuses, as little Christians, Christian, little Christ, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? So, be united, church. Be united in humility. Serve one another in humility. Let me pray and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, um, just continually in awe of how you come uh, and rescue us um, from the mistake, the choice of our own making. Lord, I thank you for this group of people, um, for them being here. Lord, I know that is not an accident. Lord, I just ask for us as we move forward this week and this month and this year that we would be reminded, Lord, that you stepped down 
put on flesh and reconciled us back to yourself so that we can reconcile ourselves back to one another and back to you. And I pray that our goal, Lord, would be to glorify you and honor you in our humility towards one another and serving one another and putting each other before ourselves. Lord, I ask that you continue to soften our hearts and open our eyes to the needs of those around us. And Lord, that you would lead us in love, not just to our brothers and sisters, but also to those who do not know you, that they may know your love, your grace, and your goodness. We thank you so much, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Cool. I think we already did announcements, so, uh, or Wednesdays, uh, if you want to go, uh, we'll be hanging out, so. Taco, can't go to pizza. What, do you, yes. what Drew said.